0: Welcome to the show, folks. This is Wrestling Changed My Life. Here we go. What you say, what are you thinking about yourself, and what are you saying about yourself is very important.
1: We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability.
0: I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have
1: it, some guys don't.
0: Adversity, 100%, how to pick myself up and be a man after I failed.
1: And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent Helps, but it's it's five percent of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and
0: effort. It humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can hit, humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt. Right? You learn, you learn how to adapt. You learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back at my time I spent wrestling, If it gave me
1: one thing more than anything else:
0: it's mental toughness.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Wrestling Changed My Life podcast. This is your host, Ryan Warner. My guest today is Tommy Ortiz. Tom was a three-time All-American, an NCAA runner-up for Arizona State back in the late 80s, early 90s. He then go on to be the head coach of Arizona State. And since then, he's been super active in the MMA community. He was a a promoter. He owned a fight league. And most recently, he's been the subject of a documentary, El Viejo, which chronicles his journey back to the ring Coach Ortiz is a very spiritual man, he's a very enthusiastic guy, and I think you're going to see that through this interview. Fan of the week goes to Ryan Goldstein, he's one of the top 100 pounders out in the Garden State, New Jersey. Ryan, thank you so much for tuning in, my friend, we appreciate it. And folks, if you want to support the show, please go to our online store, store.wrestlingchangemylife.com. We have a number of shirts, uh, hoodies, crew necks, coffee mugs, stickers, you name it. All branded wrestling changed my life. That's store, that and folks, let's get to the interview with Tom Elviejo Ortiz. Coach Tom Ortiz, welcome to the podcast, sir. How are you? I'm doing wonderful, and it's a pleasure of mine,
0: uh, Ryan, to be here. Thank you for inviting me.
1: It's it's uh it's it's my pleasure because we've known each other for a long time. I mean, we were just talking. I first came to the sun kiss kids slash ASU camp when I was in eighth grade, I was obsessed with Arizona state because Jerry Maguire was my favorite movie and Rod Tidwell played at Arizona state. And yeah. I love, I love that movie. And so once I saw there was a, a wrestling camp going on at Arizona state, I begged my mom to go, I raised money to come down. And next thing I know you're the, you're the head coach and that's how we met. So it's awesome to have this come full circle.
0: Yeah. I mean, uh, um, it makes me, it makes my heart feel good that, you know, um, it was able to motivate you to do what you're doing now, even. And and the people you're around were uh, great uh, champions like Brian Stith, as you mentioned, and, and Patrick Pitch. You got to hang around some college kids that were high quality, caring, and, you know, loving individuals that were, that wanted to see you succeed. So I was, um, I was uh, blessed to ha- be able to coach those guys. Yeah, among uh, I've been blessed to coach a lot of athletes. I guess every athlete I've ever coached is a blessing because they all taught me in some way. And my whole goal was where the teacher became the student. And so, I, I like I said, we're pleased.
1: Well, you learned from one of the masters, Bobby Douglas. That's where I wanted to start this conversation. So yes, sir. You- Your brothers wrestled at Arizona State. Your older two brothers did. Um, I'm sure Bobby was the coach then. When was the first time Bobby Douglas came into your living room in Tucson, Arizona?
0: The first time in Tucson, Arizona? Yeah. That's a great question. I like that. I like the fact that you're popping the questions at me, and I never got them. So, But that's I like answering like that. And this is kind of what uh, we did on the documentary I talked about that the, the filmmaker would send me questions and he says, please read them. So you'll know what to answer. And I would never read them. And he'd come and film me and he'd start asking me and I just answer. And after the film was done, I said, did you know, Matt, I call him Matt, the famous filmmaker Hickney with an N. I said, uh, I never read the questions. And he goes, I'm glad you didn't. So Bobby Douglas first day I ever come to my house. Uh, This probably in April of uh, 85 because uh, my brother, Eddie Ortiz wrestled at Phoenix college and, and, you know, everything happens for a reason. His goal was to be, you know, a junior college, all American and NJCAA champ. And that's when, you know, Junior college wrestling, or community college wrestling, as they call it now, uh, was flourishing you know in the '70s. We had so many programs, it was great, and it was real motivating and educating inspired me to see my brother and Joe Romero uh, kids from I went to Sunnyside High School in Tucson, be able to live that dream and go to college and were um, at the time out of high school, you know not good enough to go to ASU. but eventually they both ended up there and Joe Romero was uh, from our neighborhood and he was the first all American from Sunnyside. Everybody knows RBY. RBY is from Sunnyside. I understand the times, but this is just a little history lesson. So Joe Romero was the first all American from Sunnyside and he did it at Arizona State University in 79. My brother, Eddie Ortiz was the second all American from Sunnyside for Arizona State. Uh, It was in Corvallis, Oregon, At Oregon State, and my dad took me and my mother, so I was fortunate to see that. And I could see Bobby Douglas in action. I could see Dan Gable. I saw. I was in eighth grade, so I'm like, uh, you know, my dad was a plumber. He was a service. He worked for civil service, and so we he would spend our last dime just to go to wrestling tournaments. So I'm here, 13 years old, at the NCAA tournament, going, wow this is what I want to do. And I see Stan Abel, I see Dan Gable, I see Bobby Douglas and, you know, all Harold Nichols, all the great coaches, you know, that, 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 um, you know, Myron Roderick was running around, uh, Tommy Chesbrough was there. So it was a very, uh, invigorating history lesson on to the, to the, the, the men, that brought wrestling to its forefront, given you know Myron Roderick and uh, Harold Nichols, and just you know recruiting athletes <clears throat> in the 60s, regardless of you know color, religion, or anything. Just a good wrestler come come to my school. And Bobby Douglas always tells an old story about he goes, yeah, you know Harold Nichols offered me a full ride, and this is back in the 60s. Just saying. And Bobby said, but Marin Roderick offered me a, a full ride and a half. So I went to Oklahoma State. <laughs> <laughs> <So> that, <laughs> I, he always says that when, when you'd be recruiting, and it was just funny. It's just it's, it's old school stuff. So Bobby Douglas, April of um, 85, I was a senior. And the thing with Bobby and I, he's known me for so long. So he, today, and I think it is the best method in helping kids. It's called the set method. And that's, you know, sympathy. You know, let them know, hey, I know that hurts. You know, how can we make it better? Empathy, you know, like uh, empathize with it. I've hurt my knee before. You know, let's get better. Boom. And then the truth. You know, hey, you're good now. Let's get going. Suck it up. Become a champion. Bobby didn't practice the set method too much. <laughs> <laughs> the truth teller. He's like, eh. Which was okay for me because that's how my dad was. You just ran to the truth. The sympathy, empathy part of it wasn't the, 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 their style. And for a kid like me, I think the truth first was the best thing. My, my high school wrestling coach, Don colstrike who started the Sunnyside Dynasty where RBY wrestled, the Galax wrestled, Larkin wrestled there. Um, Eddie Urbano, the Bobby Douglas's first NCA champion, wrestled under uh Cold Strike. So so he was the dynasty builder of Sunnyside, Don Cold Strike. So um getting someone like Bobby, you know, the third mentor, you know, my dad, Don Cold Strike, my high school wrestling coach, and then Bobby Douglas coming in, it was it was simple. He he he, he said, look, called me up on the phone. And he goes, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a full ride. Are you coming to Arizona State? And I said, well, uh, Louisiana State recruiting me. They had a program at the time. They offered me a full ride. And I mentioned some other schools. Um, that was back when Shakatano was the coach at Louisiana State. He used to be the head of USA Wrestling. Um, And so I said, and he goes, look, I know you don't want to go all to those other places. So let me know if you're coming here or not. I'm not going to beg you to come here. (laughs) And I'm like, man, this is is a heck of a recruiting call. (laughs) But I guess he knew me so well that he was like, make a decision, son. And and, and decide what you want to do and and, and go accomplish your goals and and your dreams. So I said, okay, coach, um, uh, I'm I'm, coming to Arizona State. He goes, okay, we'll be there tomorrow. The rules are a little different back then. He goes, I'll be there tomorrow, and then you can sign the sheet. Because back then in the old school, uh, three coaches would show up with the letter of intent. This is before, like, real rules. So you get, like – there's stories that Stan Abel can tell you that he'd be walking out of the room with a sign, you know, letter of intent. And Dan Gable's coming up, coming up, driving up and parking and getting off. And he's like, you know, it's Abel, not Gable. It's Stan, not Dan. So, (laughs) and Gable was like, man, he beat me on so many recruits, uh, because he would, you know, Stan was the man he could talk. So Bobby shows up to, um, my house. And of course he brought Jackie and, uh, I I don't think you can bring your wife to the recruiting visit anymore. but uh, he brought his wife. Yeah. (laughs) It was, uh, yeah, you're making me remember all this. That's awesome, dude. I appreciate that. And, uh, and Jackie's wonderful. She always supported me. She was like a second mom and always trying to, uh, Bobby was going to be a great man no matter what. However, without Jackie, I'm unsure if he would have accomplished the things he did, just given the structure and what Jackie was able to provide for him. And without Jackie and looking at it in totality, I think that we probably would have never won an NCAA title in 88. Mm Mm-hmm. So, so her, she was invaluable. Um, Zeke Jones can attest to this. Mike Davies, Rod Severn, Dan St. John's, Chip Park. They were all All Americans on the team. Jimmy Gressley. Uh, you remember Timmy Gressley because he, he, he runs Sunkist uh, kids wrestling camps. So that was the first time sometime in April, Bobby shows up. that's when you put the letter intent down, you sign it and here, I think he gave us a copy. I I don't have it, but (laughs) it was uh, more based on the honor system. And I showed up. So that was the very first time Bobby showed up at my house. And, um, you know, Bobby, he had a plan in his practices every step of the way. He never followed it.
1: <laughs>
0: that was his genius in that he could walk in the room and see what the team needed and then put it into play. What I mean is how the, he had a structure, but he would go – because I'd start looking at the technique, and I'm like, Coach, we, we've been wrestling on our feet for an hour and a half. You have a plan here. Where's the mat wrestling? He goes. We don't need that today. We need to work on our feet. We're giving up too many takedowns. Uh, we need to get more if we want to win. The goal is to win in say title. The goal is to get these guys better, of course. And it's goals to get their education. Um, you know, it was it was a very simple, very simple system, and it was very practical and it could be easily applied today. I think Bobby Douglas was so successful because he was able to rely on his intuition to to bring out the performance in the athlete. Um, in '87, I had a, he had a book that we would write in, and I said, "You know, my freshman year was athletically was horrible." I was, I was 16 and 16 as a redshirt freshman. Uh, I, uh, I had never lost 16 matches in my life. In high school, I was 93 and two. And, you know, that is when, you know, the child becomes a man or do something else. Um, so that, that season was very difficult for me. However, I don't know where it came from. It was God given. Someone gave me the insight. He opened the book and I said, Coach, thank you for having me here on the team. I just got it written in his book. I bet you can find it. I said, We are going to win the NCAA title in 1988, period. I put it in writing. Bobby put it in our thoughts. We put it in action with our reps, with our training, excuse me, a lot more drilling than live wrestling because of the wrestling room. Wrestling room was small. We were, we just call it the dungeon and it was in the bottom of, a, what used to be the activity center, Wells Fargo Arena and now it's, I think it's another bank name. I'm unsure. Um, <clears throat> um I forget Desert Federal um, Auditorium. So it was in the bottom of that. So it was if you go in there, you will have a disbelief. Well, you've seen the wrestling room.
1: Yeah, it's not even a full. There's like pillars in the middle, not even a full mat, Um, a full, complete circle. It's tiny.
0: Yeah, correct. So we used to drill a lot because of live wrestling you get hurt because you're going to be falling into each other. So it was more live wrestling. I mean, more drilling than anything. And I just, you know, but for me, that was the best thing because I needed a lot of work coming from high school and being able just to shoot a high crotch and take a person down. um, um, Being at Sunnyside and being in such a competitive room and, there's multiple state champions. There's guys that took that were second team that could have been a state champ at that weight, but they couldn't make they couldn't beat out the starter. So I had that every day. I knew how to live wrestle, and I did what I and that's where I learned to scramble and that funk style of wrestling's been around forever. And um, so when 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 I got to ASU, the small room. Everything happens for a reason, it required us to drill and drill and drill body position. And that is what I learned from the master that wrestling is a science of movement. We had to move correctly in a small space in order to score wherever we're at, whether it was at the edge of the mat, the center, wherever, hmm. scoring, scoring. And it also helped us to dictate the middle of the mat and to learn how to wrestle in the middle because if you move too much, you had to stop. So it was focused. So in, in drilling, you were able to to um, um, sharpen your position and your finish. You were able to sharpen the collar tie-up, pull down with the elbow down, blocking rather than doing it 10 times like this, Mm -hmm. doing it right, doing it correctly, keeping your elbows and everything, arm, drag, double legs, penetrate across. And I call it for, in order to uh, better, because I coach, you know, kids, I was a freshman wrestling coach at Mesa high school this past year. And I've been training some kids in a, um, in a little wrestling room, a couple kids at a time. And I call it angle wrestling. I said, if you can get the angle, you can take him down. You might be able to take him down shooting forward into him, but he might get his legs back and drop your hips on you. Mm-hmm. So I ask him, have you ever ended up like this? And everyone says, yes. Well, our goal is to never end up like that.
1: It's a so lot. We're not Jordan. Not
0: everybody's Jordan Burroughs and shoot a double run on your legs and get a double leg and throw the guy down. Joe Williams used to do that. I would always be impressed by Joe Williams shooting the double from the outside, running on his knees and then picking up the guy and taking him down. So our
1: active listeners Did I answer,
0: did I answer your question? I kind of rambled.
1: You on. did. No, no, it's good. You did. And, and anyone who listens to the podcast, they're going to be pulling their hair out. Cause you mentioned Joe Williams. That was my favorite wrestler growing up. And I talk about him every chance I can get. So I'm glad you, uh, you plugged him there. Cause I was obsessed with Joe Williams as a kid. He was so good. Yeah. You know, he was a great wrestler. I I like Joe. I always got along with
0: him. He was always respectful to me. The funny thing is I wrestled him in the quarterfinals of Midlands uh, when he was a true freshman. And I was the assistant coach at Iowa State. I don't know the year. It was the 90s. We'll call it that. And so I was able to, I was an underhook guy. And everything happens for a reason. I got an underhook and I stayed because I watched Joe Williams wrestle. We recruited him. To, we tried to get him to Iowa State. He went to Iowa. I watched him and I said, anyone that can shoot a double leg like that, you got to get your hands on him and get underneath him because if he gets any space, he's going to. So continuing to wrestle after college really helped my coaching and so I could go back and teach these guys. And, right. and, and the underhook was my thing. In college because I was unable to do that high crotch that simple single that you know someone like Kerry Collatz hits that single leg or Zeke Jones hits that single leg like everyone wants to do that but or Eric Larkin hitting that single leg I was unable so I had to learn a different technique I didn't really underhook a whole bunch in high school but in college that was my go-to I'd underhook and keep it tight try to pull them down run around knee tap high crotch uh all of that so that when I wrestled Joe I knew that as a coach I was more experienced and I stayed on him and I could ride I was a rider so Joe getting out of high school in his redshirt freshman year getting out of bottom requires some technique at that level especially at Midlands when you got um, people like Gil Sanchez and uh, John Fisher wrestling in that I, I was so grateful for those guys to come back to Midlands when they were out of college and wrestle because I got to wrestle those two guys and they made me better because mm-hmm. I had to be better because they were so great they were so fast they were so good um, so wrestling Joe Williams was a great experience and how to limit his movement and get an angle and be able to 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 beat someone and never get called for stalling I I, I was. If I got called for stalling, I, I that my dad said you never get called for stalling, and Don Strike never get my high school coach never get called for stalling. And Bobby was like, "We're going forward, because in that small wrestling room, getting going forward and getting the angle was
1: everything." Right. One story about Bobby you have to tell before we go on to some of the later part of your career. Uh, it was 1990, the Nebraska duel. You guys were going to win. And the heavyweight for Nebraska was massive. You guys didn't have a heavyweight, or something happened, and you went up to like your 170 pounder. You're like, you got to bump up to wrestle heavyweight. And Bobby's like, no way. Like, I'm not going to risk a kid's health for the duel. Can- I know I just spoiled the ending, but share the story because it's a pretty cool lesson.
0: Well, um,
1: <laughs>
0: Bobby's a genius. <laughs> he's uh, not only a, a master, he's a genius. In, in, in that wrestling ta- tactics and uh, being able to see things occurring before it happened. He would be yelling out, he's going to shoot a single. When I came, remember Dana Holland? Mm-hmm. Dana Holland. So when I came to uh, uh, Arizona State, Dana Holland was, a, I think it was a junior. Uh, uh, Might have been a senior. And he told me that when we wrestled against Iowa State, Bobby kept calling his moves. Like Dana said, I was ready to shoot a high crotch. I was ready to shoot again. Bobby, watch the high crotch. And he's like, wow. Because then I was ready to shoot a single. I was ready to shoot. A- watch the single leg. <laughs> and Dana was like, how did he do that? And I said, I'm still learning, brother. I was with them 16 years and I took it all in. I tried to make it, you know, make it mine any way I could. And, and you know, stealing from other people and, and making it yours and helping others is it's good. You know what I mean? And 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 learning from other people. I learned a lot from Kale Sanderson, Joe Heskett, Chris Bono, Barry and Dwight Hanson, Zach Thompson. Although I was their coach, I learned a lot from them guys because you also gotta look at who coached them. Tadaki Hada, Zach Thompson, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. so so those Saint Ed's. So all those basics and fundamentals, you just put them in your catalog. But the the story with Bobby, we had um, we were beating Nebraska 18 to 12 at Virginia duels. And I was on the tear, it was my senior year. I had four pins that 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 I got outside wrestler, I had four pins. I was a cradler. I loved the cradle. Underhook, take them down, go for a cradle. It's always that's that wasn't my goal. Boom, boom, boom. Simple. Underhook, get them on the mat, break them down, break them flat, cross face cradle. That's what I was looking for over and over and over. Um, other things open up, move to that. You know, wrestling's a science of movement. So, so we're there. We're winning 18 to 12. The Nebraska heavyweight comes out. I mean, he was like six. He was big, dude. And I looked at him. I didn't got to wrestle him. So Mike Anderson, our heavyweight at a time, would have gave that guy a good match. Mike would have never got pinned. Mike Anderson never got pinned. And Mike Anderson almost beat Kurt Angle in the semis uh, in uh, 91, I believe, or 92. Mike Anderson was that good. Mike Anderson was 6'8", 6'9". So Kelly Gonzalez was our 77-pounder. Rex Homan was our 90-pounder. But G.T. Taylor was our 77 pounder so gt um beat their guy rex beat their guy we're winning 18 to 12 cali Gonzalez is the second string 77 pounder. so we were going to put him in as heavyweight well that was my idea <laughs> it was also i had we were there was four seniors zeke jones uh I was, uh, Zeke was 118, I was 142, uh, Tonson Saunders 150, and Dan St. John's NCAA champion was uh, uh, um, 167. So I wasn't too bad, but I was like the fourth best senior on that team. Jeez. <laughs> so um, all four of us are yelling for Kelly. Callie. Kelly's back there getting his stuff because he was going to do it. You know what I mean? That you're gonna do it for your boys. You're gonna wrestle for your team, you're gonna wrestle for Arizona State, you're gonna do everything you can to not get pinned. So Bobby says, Hold up. I I'm not gonna subject the welfare of the student athlete for a win. We're forfeiting. That's it. We're good. Let's and Wow. That was probably the most valuable lesson that my five years at Arizona State and the most valuable lesson moving into being a coach because here we are 30 years later, you know, who cares about that dual meet? It's about the growth and progress of the individual and Bobby taught me that my senior year i was being selfish you know i wanted to win an ncaa title i wanted to win a team ncaa title i wanted to go undefeated in duels you know it was just about we were focused on winning but bobby had us focused on winning it was he was the coach and it was his job to make sure that we are also safe in focused on winning
1: mm. love that story and People don't realize during your era, Arizona State won the Nationals in 88, and you guys got second in 89 and 90. And so that, I mean, Bobby Douglas was already big time from being an Olympian, obviously, and and beating Gable all those years. But now he had brought a program from nothing to, you know, one of the tops in the country. He gets a job at Iowa State. You end up following him there. And you were one of the main recruiters of Cody Sanderson and eventually Kale Sanderson. What was, kind of walk us through the experience of, getting to know the Sanderson family and, and bringing those guys there to Iowa state versus some of the other programs that were recruiting him.
0: Oh, wow. I love Steve and Debbie Sanderson. They, I, they, Steve, you know, he would never admit it, but he used to flip me off all the time. He see me and he just, and I, and, and cause I would always, because you got to understand when you come from, uh, my father and Don Kostik, you know, the head wrestling coach at Air Sunnyside, and and Bobby Douglas, you you tend to like take on that that persona of how you do things, and so I was a truth. I was I was a truth teller, and I'd go straight to the truth. And sometimes I think the set method is better, especially now. And I think I started to use it a little bit more than the best I could but I just wasn't uh, i wasn't versed in it. You know what I mean? I'm still working on that. I got two boys that are eight and 10 and I'm still trying to learn sympathy and empathy. But my mind has been so focused on the truth my whole life that I just, ah, you know, suck it up. You know, dad, I hurt my knee. You know what I mean? And right. I got to learn to say, come over here, rub his knee. How's it feel? Does it hurt here, hurt there? No, it feels good all over. Great. That's the best way to do it. You know, that's how you bring up your children. So so, um, and Steve uh, was really good at that, uh, 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 especially with Kale and letting Kale be Kale, because Kale is real different. And so everyone's different. And so Cody, Cole, Kale, I did mostly dealt with them. And then I used to be around Kyler a lot, uh, Sanderson, and they're all very different. Everyone's different. Um, How are know, Cody
1: and Kale different?
0: Uh, Cody is a, a caretaker. He he's in a, 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 a very and Kale will say this. Uh, he's a very very uh, important part of Penn State. So I think Cody in his. Um, coaching ability, probably Cunningham too, because I've been around Casey, but he's, I think Kale's more cut under like the Bobby Douglas and that truth talent. Kale will go to the truth. Hey man, you, you got to We're Cody having to help, you know, with his younger brothers, he has a good way of look what he's done with RBY and, you know, Hey, what, what, what what's up RBY? What, what do you need? For me to help you, that sympathy, that empathy, uh, and creating that—I think that's very important in coaching today. Because when it comes down to it, you know, love. What is what is wrestling? Wrestling is just love. You know, it's just you know, loving your 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 teammates, your coaches, and everyone surrounded the program. Um. So I think that's the big difference. Is not only you know in their hierarchy in their lineup as in their age and Cody being the oldest, he, he took care of um, Cole and KO and, and Kyler as much as he could, but I think he was a natural at it. I think that's why um, he's such a great assistant coach, but we saw Cody uh, uh, as, wait a minute. I take that back. So, so Cody Sanderson Cole Sanderson and Kale Sanderson showed up at the Arizona state wrestling camps. So we had this ten-year-old, this eleven-year-old, and then this twelve-year-old. And Bobby said, um, "We got to throw these camps. We got to keep our wrestlers around in the summer, and we got uh, and, and 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 get as many kids here as possible and see what we can get because we're out in the desert. So when they uh, showed up." I'm, these little, you can even ask Sean Charles too, because Sean was around. These kids were just fighters, man. They were just going and going, and they just we'd go a two-hour practice, and they would not take a water break, and so Bobby would be able to recognize that, and we kept our eye on them. Of course, they were successful in high school. Everybody, uh, every, uh, I think it was uh, between us and Oklahoma State. For Cody, um, I think that uh, our ability to understand where he was coming from, and 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 Steve being able to recognize the, in my opinion, and some people might get offended, the supremacy in Bobby Douglas's technique, because hmm. Bobby was always. He never like stops learning. I think he's still just wrestling film. And, and, and then I'll call him up. I was like, coach, because I have a video on there where I do an arm drag double leg. I learned it from Bobby Douglas. And I said, where did you get this from? This motion of someone touches you and, and then you do an arm drag. He goes, well, I learned the arm drag from Myron Roderick. But the part of this, he learned from Bruce Lee. Wow. In the 70s, he said he saw like Bruce Lee was going to get hit, and he went like this and blocked the hit. <laughs> and then Bobby said, oh, hey, arm drag. Pull him across, step to the side, angle, double leg. Instead of a lot of people cheat the arm drag where you, you arm drag and step in. That's good, but there's more than one way to do things, mm-hmm. and especially in wrestling. And expecting, especially looking at these new guys. I mean, they're like Daka Mahalas, you know, RBY. They just, they just do stuff that. So good. Yeah, I would be sore for a week. Um, the stuff they do. So acrobatic. They, they, uh, they become a lot. There's a lot more um, acrobatic motions now, which is good. I think that adds to the excitement. I mm-hmm. think uh, before you were told never to jump. I mean, if it scores two points, who cares? But fundamentally, you're supposed to run around and keep your feet on the mat. But if I can jump behind you, I'm going to jump behind you.
1: Right.
0: Uh, it's just the ability to do that. So with, um, with Cody, um, so this is how family goes. So Bobby knew I was going to come to Arizona State. My brother was an All-American there. Uh, I was uh, from Tucson, Arizona, close to home. Family, family, family. So, you know, Utah didn't have an alternative at the time. So, Cody uh, luckily chose Iowa State as the place to uh, continue his education and wrestle. Um, so, we took care of that. We had Cody there. Cole came up. And once again, it was between us, uh, between Oklahoma State. And us, I think Cole chose Iowa State by default because of his brother. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? It's for sure. Yeah, you know, because Cody really wise. Because Cole, I said, "What, Cody? What is he at?" He goes, "He asked me where should I go," and I go, "What was your answer to him?" And he says, "Wherever you feel best, Cole. I'm not going to tell you where to go. You, that's your decision." Yeah and the rest of your life you're going to have to make your own decisions. You come to Iowa State, I'll help you all that I can. I love you. You're my brother. You know, we're going to end up living it all in Iowa and we'll live in the house together. However, if you feel Oklahoma State is the place for you to accomplish your dreams, then go there. So this was the 90s and you know John Smith, you know that low ankle shot, you know You interviewed him, you know. I looked up to John Smith. I, I will watch John Smith wrestling videos, his wrestling videos, not so much his technique videos, because he does stuff in wrestling he doesn't show in his technique. Hmm. And quite honestly, I think he does it on purpose. (laughs) He's Bobby used to be that
1: way too. He goes, "Hey, don't show that technique." There's one story where when sports illustrated did the article on John Smith called how low can you go in the eighties and the sports illustrated layout had pictures of John shooting the low single. If you look at it closely, you'll see that it's not a low single. And I talked to John about it. And he said, he's like, yeah, no way was I showing the low single to sports illustrated. So he showed like an outside sweep single or something, but on purpose, to your point, exactly. Yeah.
0: <laughs> awesome. I, I read it right.
1: So I would, I, I, me, if I'm going to learn John Smith technique, I watch
0: his matches against Sarkeesian. Mm-hmm. I even watch his match against Jim Jordan when he lost. But I, you know what I mean? I'll watch his matches against Joe Malcorey or uh, all those great wrestlers. I go watch what he's doing and, you know, the crackdown, uh, the technique he uses on the crackdown, he doesn't show. He, did, I, I've never seen him technically show that. I only see him show the, the – well, he, he does it, but he's not going to give away the – the, the secrets and the jewels which is smart you know you're trying to win an ncaa title right so so when it came to cole sanderson sorry i got off on a little <laughs> which is okay because it's recorded so you can yeah no problem
1: what man what is riffin we're talking wrestling
0: absolutely man this, there's nothing better um cole sanderson you know i i think he chose iowa state because of his of cody um which we were cool with i i wrestled Cole every day, he was hard nosed. He was a great kid, so he came his freshman year, and then uh, Cody was a red shirt freshman. And you know, we're all learning to get better. And it was my first uh, assistant coaching job, so you know I had some faults and you know some flaws that I needed to work on. But I also had the love for wrestling. You know what I mean, and the way wrestling changed my life, and so I was going to do anything I can to make sure these guys were successful. I, you know, my, everything happens for a reason. 1990, I took second. You know, I was heartbroken because I trained so hard, and I really thought I was going to win. And, but, uh, you know, Joe Reynolds, God bless his soul, uh, he was good. Joe was one of the strongest, most flexible guys I ever wrestled. He was phenomenally strong and really flexible. Um, I think the only one stronger than him that I wrestled was probably Townsend Saunders silver medalist. So when Kale came up, we kind of thought, well, this is going to be easy. It was the same as it was harder than recruiting the other two <laughs> because Kale, you know, he's a little different. He, you know, he, he thinks his way and how to do it. And even I, back then. Oh, he's. So what we did after and Bobby was smart, Cody signs with us. So that summer, Bobby decides to do a camp in Utah, in Walshatch. (laughs) <laughs> at, at walshats high school you know what i mean people could do camps in is the you know i was like cool you know it, it's beautiful out there you know it's park city and walshats is out there and i'd never been to that part of the country and i got to i love those camps we'd go there for a week and a half um we'd go up in the mountains they take us up in the mountains and we would go bike riding And I remember Chris Bono once killed himself. (laughs) He hit a tree log (laughs) and flew and I just watched him fly. But wrestlers, they know how to land. So he landed on his back, got up. And I was like, that's before you had like, you know, uh, (laughs) camera phones. I was like, that was awesome. I felt like the guy from Tommy Boy. When the deer comes out of the the car. Um, because he flew and he just got up, wow! And he looked around. He was like, "You're the only one that saw that." I said, "That's right. It was amazing." Um, of course, he never. Yeah, Bono never got hurt. So we start doing the wrestling camps. Okay, so obviously they're all good. They all got talent. Kyler's like ten or something. I don't know. He he was a crazy little kid. So uh, I stayed at the, the Sanderson's house because um, uh, they employed me for the camp. And so we're recruiting, we're, we're, I'm sorry, we're doing the wrestling camp. <laughs> Slipped on him there. There's got to be a statue of the limitations or something. I don't know. So we're in a new century. So we're at the gym. We do the session, and they said, Do you want to play basketball? And I said, sure, I'll play back. I can dribble a ball and stuff. Have you ever played basketball with wrestlers? Of course. Okay. You know what it's like. But kind of multiply that versus Kale. So Kale's on the other team. I'm on this team. I think Cole was on my team. He couldn't play basketball for anything. Uh, Cody was on Kale's team. And, like, Cody never fouled me. He was a gentleman. You know what I mean? So I'm going for a layup. And I, you know how he's, like, did you bleed? No harm, no foul. He smacks the crap out of my arm. I fall. I, I'm like, that's a foul. And he's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, Kale, that's a foul. You, you, you're you not allowed to touch me like that. It's called basketball. He goes, there's no fouls. I'm like, what? So we keep playing. The game progresses like that the whole time. What I learned from that situation is that the best athletes, especially the best wrestlers, they hate to lose. So you think of someone like Michael Jordan? Yeah. Hates to lose. Everyone loves winning. But Kale, he just, he despised. He was going to do anything to win this pickup basketball game in a high school gym no one's ever seen. Like, no one's going to see this game. No one's going to record it. No one's going to even remember it. I think he forgot about it. At that point, I was in the realization that this dude, Hates losing. He's gonna be hard, uh, be hard to beat. That I think he was gonna go 159 and 0. Honestly, no. I, you know, no one ever predicted an undefeated college wrestler. Uh, you know, and then he became Olympic champion, four-time all uh, national champ. So I went to Bobby. I said, Bobby, we really got to make sure we get this last one too, because this kid, he just wants to win. So, like, it's gonna be what's gonna be. And the rest is history because then, you know, Kale, he likes that low ankle. He wanted to learn the secrets of the low ankle. However, and I'm just saying only because I know there's video from the 60s of Bobby Douglas doing a low ankle. Really? Yes. He said the reason he never developed it is Myron Roderick says, you don't do that. You're breaking the fundamentals. Mm. You single, high crotch, double. Single, high crotch, double. So the low ankle had been around, and you see Bobby doing that video. And Bobby had tech, he has technique for it. He has a drilling system for that hmm. so you know and i know john i don't i don't think he probably saw that video of bobby douglas but he did you know develop the low ankle because that's the first time he took down his brother right yeah the low ankle so if i can take down my big brother with it he started developing it kale wanted to learn that system the low ankle and bobby was like uh i can teach you that if you, i can teach you the low ankle system i know it i wrestled at oklahoma state you know and been around for a while so that was help in his decision because he you can even ask john he was he was close to siding with oklahoma state but we had cody and cole sanderson so for kale and the sanderson family that was the best decision they ever made coming under Bobby Douglas's um supervision and
1: auspicious,
0: you know, coming <laughs> under Bobby Douglas's uh, uh uh mastery, as I'd like to call it.
1: For sure. Now there's so many stories we could go in further on the wrestling front, but I want to shift to the documentary that oh, uh, cool. was done on you because it, it's really well done. And I'm into the uh the documentary space myself. So I wanted mm-hmm. to ask, how did all that come about um the filmmaker getting in touch with you um and and for folks who don't know it's about you return to the octagon at age 51 it's an incredible story um but the documentary itself how did that come about and what was the relationship like working with a director over the couple of years there um
0: well how i came about i uh you know, I got involved and after I, I, my stint at ASU in 09, I got involved in MMA. And it came about where, you know, through my ASU connections, I was able to throw my first fight at Casino Del Sol in Tucson in uh, October of 2009. So I started that promotional type thing. And as I continued, and I enjoyed it, I loved it. You know, my ex-wife owns it now. I had to, um, but every time I sat cage side and doing these events I saw myself in there I said I have to do this I have to uh, because I did fight a couple times amateur after my you know in 09 of uh, June and 09 of July then I got the opportunity in 09 to be a promoter so I said well you know I got a family my boys are coming and this was like kind of a safer (laughs) faster way to, to, to earn money. And it was a, a glorious experience. I loved it. So um, how the fight came about. So as I moved into the promotion, I was continually doing it. I was feeling, uh, I felt a void. And I said, and memories would come back. And, and this kind of helped me along. My brother, actually my dad, was a a boxer, and he said something that I had to, like, remember to get me to get off my butt and do and live my dream. He said, uh, I would have went into professional boxing. However, I had some boys, and I went and got, uh, you know, went to work, and he loved, my dad was a great plumber. He loved it, but that was his choice, and that was his, and I remember that, him saying that, and me thinking to myself, you know, I want to do a pro MMA fight. That's really what I want to do. I have two sons uh, and I have two beautiful daughters. They're older. They're 24 and uh, 19 now. Um, so I said, I'm going to do it. I, I want to do this. But what what made me do it, <laughs> And and I have to be, honest with myself and honest with you, I'm unsure if I would have fought had it not got filmed. (laughs) Just say it. Uh, So I'm in a gym, an MMA gym, a fight ready. And I'm training a fighter as Benny Madrid and we're training together. And uh, a former wrestler, uh, and a BJJ guy comes in and we're doing, we're grappling, no gi grappling, trying to choke each other. And this stocky dude, his name is Sean, Shane Allison. Hmm. Actually, he's the producer of the documentary. He just happened to have wrestled in Durango back when they had a college wrestling program. Gotcha. Um, was it Fort Lewis or I forget the name of the community. I wish it was still here. And, you know, he was a grappling submission guy. He's a black belt. He's also from Sierra Vista, one uh, of Vista high school in Arizona and his coach Martinez. I knew him very well. I love coach Martinez. God bless his soul. Um, so Shane Allison is there. He submits, you know, does the arm bend and he submits me and I'm pissed off and he chokes me one time and I'm like, this is starting to piss me off. I go, I just, I, I want to punch you. <laughs> because you keep, and and he looks at me. He goes, "Yeah." And I go, "You know, I go I, I, at the time I was fifty. I go, I know I'm fifty, but I I know I still have it in me to fight. I wanna I wanna do my first pro MMA fight." He looks right at me. And says, "I'm going to film you." And I'm like, "Cool, sure, film me. You know what I mean. This is a shirt." You know, this is him I live young. That's my mantra. I don't care if I'm 120. I'm I'm going to try to live young. That's just what I'm, that's just my mindset. I feel that is best. Also, I also do it because I got an eight year old and 10 year old boy. You know what I mean? I could easily be their grandfather.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But so I, I, I got to stay young because these guys are active and um, you know, they love doing all sports. So he says, "I'm gonna film you," and I'm like, "Whatever, dude. It's cool. You submit me. I'll, I'll listen to you." So, uh, when can we meet? When can you meet him? I'm gonna go. He's also a black belt in BJJ. The filmmaker, like, I—it's a. This is like the first like MMA film where the filmmaker and the, the producer could probably like beat me <laughs> <laughs> because the filmmaker—he's—he's he's a black belt jujitsu and he's six five you know, 250 pounds, his name's Matt Hickney with an N, and, um, but luckily, they're, they're gentle guys, and they saw what I was trying to live for, so when Matt came in, he said, hey, man, can we get in that ASU room, this is, I'm Matt Hickney, uh, um, um, Shane's brought me on, uh, I've known Shane for a while, we rolled, we've done our thing, and uh, and I want to come film you, and I'm like, okay, I I kind of thought he was going to show up with just the film like a uh, whatever
1: yeah had Had other people tell me
0: they were going to follow me and they usually show up with something handheld like (coughs) this big yeah or a phone okay I get it but this was for real and as you can see by the quality of the film incredible yeah, yeah he I have to say this about the film Ryan and it's important that I get it out there after watching that i had to come to the realization that he told this story and he did told the best story about me after watching all that film i forgot a lot of those parts it's a great film it's heartfelt i'm like he's telling a better story. That's a story I can tell myself because it actually happened. I need to remember those memories. So that's my focus is on the good and getting better and accomplishing and family and loving each other and these kids growing and becoming better. I said, that's what I need to focus on. That's where I need to be after watching that. So I I, um, I told Shane and Matt, that I I text them, I said, thank you for what you did for my children. Mm-hmm. Because after watching that, their their self-esteem and their self-worth were like this. They saw it on film, they saw what it was about, they saw their foster brothers, and they saw the competition, they saw the practices, they saw, they saw themselves in there. And I I couldn't thank, you know, Matt, Hickney, and Shane Allison enough for doing that for my children. Mm-hmm. That that was just everything. And, and putting out there, um, you know, we've had nine foster children. Um, during this time, we haven't had any. Um, um, and we're going to go back to it, obviously, and eventually adopt my wife and I. Um, the... For foster, you know, foster for me, uh, we've been saying foster kids matter. You know, foster kids' lives matter forever. You know, foster kids matter. We have fosterkidsmatter.com, but we had that, you know, a year and a half ago. Um, All of them do. Uh, It was heart-wrenching
1: during the doc when halfway through the documentary, the foster kids were placed back with their mother. That was a tough, that was a tough moment to watch. Like, that's, I mean, that's as real as it gets.
0: Yeah, it was, um, there were, it was dope. it was two double pronged because you have to understand something uh, 99% of the time. The foster kids want to be with their mom. The foster kids could be, maybe, coming from a cardboard box for all we know. Mm hmm. They don't care. I have a nice home. They had their own beds, they had food, but they missed their mom through that whole process. And that was my wife's goal, was to make sure we could reunite them with their mother. She worked with the mom, in my opinion, the kids, everything happens for a reason, never had to be taken away from the mom. The mom was a good mom. However, it's important who you surround yourself with in order to. So the surroundings for her were inadequate, corn CPS, so they had to remove them. They called us and said, and here's how the story goes. actually, we're sitting in church we're in Central Christian church in Mesa my wife and i and and uh and we were waiting for uh, to get more children because we had placed uh, a couple other- two other boys I'm unable to say their names uh with back with their uh, mothers, both of them back with their mothers, which was awesome and so at that point, my wife and I says. Well, she said it to me. She goes, I think it would be better if we only get like uh, foster girls because the one foster girl we had, it was easy because my boys were all cool. And then, you know, and it was the, it was easy. We got her back with her mother, actually her grandmother, and she was safe and healthy. And the, my mom is, uh, my wife is a servant and she's amazing. So we said, no more boys they're that much tougher or what oh <laughs> so we had these two other young boys and they were a couple years older than my boys one or two and it was i had four roosters <laughs> and then you had me and it was just like a constant these just four boys just woom, 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 woom. it was like a heavy metal concert man I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> you know and you know and Uh, You know, uh, my boys are with their mother half the time. So I would bring, uh, you know, every time I had the boys, we're there with the foster boys too. And it was, so we'd said, you know what? It's gonna, it's make it easier on us. My wife gets the phone call, steps out of the church and uh, she was waiting for the call and I'm waiting. And then all of a sudden, you know, I come out and, I had my phone in my pocket, but I wasn't checking in church. And so when I come out of the church, I looked at it and she goes, I need to talk to you. This is important. They have two boys and they need our help. Because the, hey, we got the call in church. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and my wife, we were never going to say no because they needed our help and those kids were heaven sent because the experience my sons went through could never you could never uh, not enough money on this earth for that experience and the experience i learned from it there's not enough money for that experience and and what my wife learned from it and what we all learned from it as a family and you know sharing our love with Anyone that um, wants our help was tremendous, and my brother, my son's li- learning that, and-, and being around those boys because they were awesome. You know, we had our times; it was difficult. They missed their mom. Yeah, they had their trauma. You know, but the whole goal was to get them by their mom. But if I had to say that, you know, when that happened, it was it, w- it was tough. That's what we all wanted, but um, wanting to keep them too was amazing because one of them could just like do amazing. Like he was an amazing athlete. I put the couch out there and I said, all right, jump on that. He jumped over it and I went, oh my goodness, (laughs) (laughs) son, we got, we got to get you in sports, man, whatever we're going to we're going to go play flag football together. So I had all four of them. And I tell you what, that was the hardest coaching stint I ever had in my life.
1: The flag, the elementary flag. Football oh, the thing? flag football thing
0: was so difficult. And the, and I tell people this after, uh, for a year, my son took flag football off. Now he's back into it. He loves it. He's really good too. So, and I said, well, why do he take the year off? I go, because the last season, him and his coach didn't get along. And they were like, oh, they thought I was going to like badmouth the coach. And I said, I was his coach. <laughs> so with me only having my sons uh, half the time, uh, my oldest, Pierce, you know, he, he wanted all my attention. And I'm like, son, you have to, under-, he was only seven. You have to understand we have a team. So I have to give everyone the attention they need to make this function as a team. And he had a hard time with that. So it was, it was tough, but I would change nothing for the world.
1: It was fun watching the scene of, of your son who he must've got hit or he was a little upset. And then the camera's on him and he's like waving the camera away. It was cool, man. It, it was uh the documentary is awesome. and It's really well done. It's called, El Viejo. It's on Amazon now. I rented it this morning. It's like an hour and ten minutes, so you can get through it. And, you know, it's not a, a huge time commitment. It's awesome. Super yeah, well that's done. the big thing.
0: When they told me that it was hour and six, it's an hour and six minutes. I said good, because you know everyone's busy and yeah, you want to keep it. They were trying to keep it to fifty nine minutes. That was their goal. Um, and I tell you, when Matt showed up. Like you said, it was really well done. When he showed up, I was like, (sighs) I have to fight. Because my boy, Shane Allison was paying this dude. And Matt was doing his thing. And this dude was for real. I mean, he went to film school. This dude, I I texted him this morning. And I said, Matt, we got to keep rolling. Because I only see great things coming from you. Because he's a heck of a filmmaker.
1: Incredible. how and many he, separate times did he come to I, your house and like do, do how many separate interviews did he do at your house? I'm just curious. Like how long was that process from start to finish? Years or months? Um all together, uh, I would say within a year, but as
0: you can see I talk a lot. So <laughs> so when he would ask me a question, I would like like you ask me a question and then you have like <laughs> 10 tangents. Which is like wrestling because if I hit a switch and I don't got the switch, I got to go sit out, turn in. If you get behind me, I got to stand up. If I stand up, I got to fight your hands. If you pick me up, put me back down, I got to hit a switch or a sit out or or a Grandby. You know what I mean? So that's that it was within the year. He's just an amazing filmmaker. He uh, and he was able to cut and edit. You know, Shane Allison is a producer, he gave his input. The main focus of that film, because I think there's a lot of parts they probably film that go out of this, uh, um, how would I say? Uh, the main focus of the film was to motivate, was to educate and inspire. Mission accomplished. Great. I'm glad you said that. That was the 100% of... Uh, of uh, uh, the focus of the film, and that was our goal. So when Shane says said to me, he goes, This is not, you know, this film's not about making money, bro. This film's about motivating someone, educating someone, and inspiring them to whatever they believe they can do, that they can do. I'm telling you, the film, Matt Hickney helped my belief <laughs> because, you know, uh, Shane, said how did you know i was going to fight he goes because you're a wrestler and if you're going to tell another wrestler you're going to do something you better you better finish it so if someone tells me hey i'm gonna go do this you know i'm gonna go uh do a podcast on wrestling and you had told me a while back and i just oh, that's awesome i'm glad and you're doing it i mean did wrestling change your life understatement there's two you know, the change, it's a, of course it did. Wrestling, my dad put me in wrestling, you know, and, and the funny thing about all that is my grandmother changed my life too because uh, she actually wrestled professional in New York City. No way. I promise you. And I'm still venturing and trying to find the picture. They have her in a black suit with a big sombrero. And they said, yeah, my nickname was uh, Guadalupe. From Mexico City, and she's like, um, "My name's Ramona, and I'm from El Paso." <laughs> and I'm like, "That's cool, Grandma." So, so, you know, so she loved wrestling. She was a professional wrestler. So, after my brother had passed when I was 14 and 10 months old, this was in July of um, June 25th was the date of his uh, departure from the earth. Those two months into school, my grandmother had to watch me because it was a traumatic time. You know, you didn't get counseling then uh, like you do now. And if and there's a traumatic event in anyone's life, I suggest counseling. It's not weakness. I still get it. I still have uh, a life skills um, uh, motivator. I still reach out to, to my friends that are positive and are willing to push me to get better. Um, so my grandmother was actually my counselor for those two months because my mom and dad obviously were out of it. They're not to blame. And she helped get me into high school. So when I got into high school, the, the attention was less on my brother's death. I think about my brother every day, but I know he's alive in spirit. I feel that 100%. Um, So when I got to high school, it was football season, jump into football. And that's when I really started liking girls. Mm -hmm. So there was girls and football. Uh, I did my, you know, the good thing about sports is like, you have to get these grades in order to participate. Okay, boom, that's what I did. Granted, I mean, could I focus more on the education at the time, obviously. But I did better in college than I did in high school. Mm -hmm. And I just think it was the mechanism of college and how it required more responsibility. You know, you go to these two classes this day, and then on Tuesday is two different classes. And that always kept me invigorated rather than sitting in class all day, which was difficult for me because I wanted to play football and I wanted to wrestle. So soon after that, after the football scene, ninth grade, uh, freshman wrestling. And I had a really good uh, freshman coach, Richard Sanchez, and he was always pushing me. He was a truth teller. So I got a bunch of these truth guys around. So the sympathy and the empathy <laughs> probably would help me at the time, but that was what my grandmother was for. So so putting it out there that you're, you can do this was the main um, uh, motivation for that, for that film, he wanted to show that if you put your mind to it, you can accomplish it. I wanted to do a pro MMA fight. If I die tomorrow, I I feel comfortable. What I've done in my life, am I going to accomplish a whole lot more every day? Of course. Uh, 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 my wife is an inspiration. You know, my mother is eighty-three, and she loved wrestling, and she drove us around everywhere. And you know, despite um my brother's departure from this earth she has fortitude she still works she's at work right now amazing She works in the cafeteria at sunnyside high school because she loves the district she loves the kids and well the kids are not in school right now but that's her main premise and never ask her hey are you going to retire because and then if you do ask her when she started beating me in the living room she'll say 12 it was 10. (laughs) <laughs> and i could I, I was starting to get an arm bar and stuff and she said that was enough she to this day says i was winning till you were 12 so and
1: then you start throwing arm bars on mom i love it
0: yeah i was like <laughs> and then, but my mom used to whoop me up you know her mom was a pro wrestler before so so i was very fortunate in having all those peoples in place to to I just, without wrestling, and um, and I know it's cliche. I, I'm unsure if I'd be alive right now uh, without them continually the having something to. It was a, a reduction in my trauma that I was under. Perfect. So man,
1: to a whole nother degree, and I th- I just think it's awesome that your story was put together in that way because. You know, a lot of times we tell ourselves a story about ourselves that's more negative than the outside world sees, and it's cool to see it. Um, you know, very, very few people in the world get a chance to see a documentary about themselves, but it's cool that it had that impact of saying, Hey, you know, I'm, maybe I'm being a little too hard of myself.
0: Your uh evaluation is spot on, you nailed it. Um, I'm, I'm being too hard of myself, and I think. That's a common uh, issue with a lot of individuals. Hey, you, you know, uh, what you say, what are you thinking about yourself and what are you saying about yourself is very important. And always trying to see the the, the best in it, seeing good all things. You know, and when I, when I watched that documentary, I had like an out-of-body experience. It was like that wasn't me up there because everything in it was so positive. And it was so enlightening that I had made the realization that, that maybe this, this picture is for me to have more appreciation of where I'm at in life and life um, simple. I mean, life totally. Um, I tell you what, though, I've never lost my appreciation for wrestling because I know what it did for me.
1: Amen. Well, Coach yes, Ortiz, I wish I didn't have to go, but I do have to run. Um, it's been an honor to catch up with you. I say this to everybody just because these conversations are so fun. But got to have you back on. It was it was great to catch up. It's been far too many years, and you were a big part of my inspiration in wrestling back in the uh, in the early 2000s. So thank you for coming on the show.
0: I, I appreciate you saying that, and um, I'll anything you need. Let me know, Ryan. I'll help you all I can, brother. Keep, uh, keep going. We're behind you. And uh, like I said, soon enough, you'll be on Spotify.
1: And all great things must come to an end. If you want to hear more from the podcast, text WRESTLE to 555 That's WRESTLE to five 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 eight eight eight. You can also find us on Instagram, Wrestling Change My Life, Twitter, Ryan underscore N underscore Warner, as well as our website, WrestlingChangedMyLife.com. Take care, y'all.